It's time for Stars on Sports, a podcast radio show dedicated to sharing stories about our athletic program at Lansing Community College. LCC Athletics has a strong tradition. 23 national championship wins. Over 170 All-Americans. 19 MCCAA All-Sports Trophies. Stars on Sports will introduce you to individuals that have contributed to our program's success and give you the backstory on what it takes to develop it. We'll also dive into and break down the topics and issues facing athletic departments across the nation and right here at LCC. This is Stars on Sports. Hello and welcome to another episode of Stars on Sports. As usual, I am joined by our assistant athletic director and baseball coach, Stephen Cutter. Today, Stephen will be discussing a smorgasbord of topics um, as we tape this at the end of our academic um, semester and calendar year. So in previous podcasts, we had talked about reflecting on our year a year and a half at LCC. Again, it's just that time of year that to, to do a lot of reflecting and you and I have spent a lot of time talking about just time in general. And time has always fascinated me. We talk about money. We talk about um, responsibility, other things that impact our day. But time is the one that's always confused me. You know, it can be fast. It can be slow. We can lose it. Somebody can steal it. It's precious. There's so many facets of time that we probably don't maximize. And I know you have studied it and studied, you know, the importance of a day. And, and, and I think we've even talked on previous podcasts about the 14 minutes in a day that we have to really maximize. But time is very important in athletics. To coaches, planning practice, you know, maximizing that time. I don't like bothering coaches on game day and, and how important pregame routines are and, and getting focused and ready for, for competition and optimizing that competition. But it's even more important, I think, for practice. And, and in my coaches' meetings, I always talk about the importance of a practice plan and laying it out and making sure your assistant coaches have it and you're making it purposeful. And then at the end of the day, reflecting and seeing what you, you accomplished and what you need to do the next day. And one of the best articles I ever read talked about how people should take that coach's structure and apply it to everyday life, that they should do the same thing every day, that practice plan, what, you know, what can you do throughout the day and, and put it on your schedule? I am not very good at that. And I am learning to <laughs> you smile over there and even being on time is something I have to, to do better of and be respectful. Of. But it's one thing I think that good coaches do well and something that the rest of society could learn from coaches on that practice plan. Well, Time is really the only thing that we have. It's really the only guarantee that we have in life until it's done. I certainly have researched time and, and how to be efficient. I've created that with my life. I understand with a normal human life expectancy, you're going to spend about 28% of your life sleeping. You're also going to spend about 23% of your life if you work 40 hours in a week working that works out to 51 percent of your life so what are you going to do with the rest of that in in your time 
So that's kind of a, a broad picture. But what happens with that and why people feel so busy all the time is exactly because of that. They're not so intentional with their time. Time slips away. Time is uh, without systems and they end up feeling overwhelmed, super busy. All of those things happen. I think it's important to, you know, for me to ask you, you've been really busy. You've got a super busy week this week. Why are you so busy? And the difference is being, everyone thinks they're busy and being productive or effective. And True. I'm always busy, but I have to be more productive and, and, and maximize the things I do get done and the important things I get done. I can, you know, we all tend to see, do, like to do the things that are easy or we can accomplish real quickly, but at some time you got to tackle the challenging ones. And my philosophy is always, I'd rather tackle them, get those done and end with the the easy ones. Or, you know, okay. when I first took this job at LCC, it seemed like, man, everyone works on at five o'clock on Friday. Everyone sends me emails like they worked all week to get it done. And now, you know, heading into the weekend, I got all these things to do and just very impressive that they're being so productive on Friday afternoon. Some people coast into the weekend, but I think it's more just managing the important tasks that I need to get done. And there's different ones from this simple clerical task to meaningful, bigger picture tasks and focusing or or planning that day to spend enough time on either one. And as I mentioned, I I have a, a colleague that puts lunch on his calendar just to make sure he gets it in. And I don't spend my day saying from nine to 10, send thank yous, 10 to 11, work on eligibility. And so it's something I can definitely do better because I think I'm busy um, with a lot of little you know, medial tasks or such, but I just have to do better at being more effective with getting the tasks done I need to. And I'm not good at it. I am not good at managing time. That's why I run late. I, I want to get something done before I leave instead of waiting to come back. I don't say no enough. I mean, if someone comes and interrupts me, I'm going to talk to them instead of let's schedule an appointment an hour later or the more intentional you become, the more that you say no. So the the more that you're appreciating your the time that you do have, you say no a lot more. And if you think about it, before I got into coaching, I was in the business world for a number of years. And I would always have these meetings, tons of meetings. And every meeting that was on my calendar was scheduled for an hour. And we would go into these meetings and if it was scheduled for an hour, it, it would take an hour. And we started, I started getting really intentional with my time there as well. And you could get meetings done in 15 minutes. Sometimes you didn't need an hour. So that's where it kind of comes in when, when we're coaching, we're somewhat limited on the time that we have. And so I look at like our baseball team, which will start up again with practices on January 10th and the postseason tournament will start on May 11th. And if you remove sleep, college, eating, studying, we have about 968 hours to work with them. Now, can we practice for 968 hours? No, we, we could, but we're not going to. But I can be in front of them. Our program can be in front of them. As long as we're sending stuff to their phones, which they typically always have, we're in front of them. So we're super intentional about those 968 hours that we have with them. And we're in front of them 
as much as we possibly can be. Because if we're not in front of them, somebody else will be. And that's, and that's where the, the time and being super intentional about things, you can actually be a lot more productive and spend less time than what somebody else is that's not intentional about it. And that's one of the benefits of technology is we can utilize that. It's also one of the disadvantages is if they're on it even more. But back to your point of no, Warren Buffett's number one leadership quality to being effective was being the ability to say no. And then to your meeting point, yeah, there seems to be a stigma that they have to be an hour where 15 to 20 minute meetings can be very impactful and successful. One of my favorite quotes on meetings is it's where minutes are taken and hours are wasted. But to your point of, you know, utilizing technology to help being productive, that's, you know, a goal of ours in, in the athletic office is we have signed up for some software that will hopefully help us maximize communication and calendars that we can definitely utilize our time better. You know, as we um, reflect on this year and think of all the time, both of us I wouldn't consider inpatient, but we, you know, we are excited about a lot that we can accomplish. But it's still, at this time of year, good to reflect, but also important to look forward. So that's something that I'm trying to do. Reading is also important. Both of I talked about reading late at night when everyone else is sleeping to, so we can still spend time with our family, then spend time on ourselves. One of my favorite leaders of all time said, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others and find time for yourself, whether it's exercising or just going in a room and writing and reading. And, and it's very important to find time for yourself too, which I think, you know, in our business, we struggle and in society today struggle with doing that too, especially as we've talked about our schedule, um, the impacts of, of the hours and, and different times that our events take place. If you're not intentional with your schedules and you're not setting your own schedule, somebody else will set your schedule for you. And that's that's ultimately why I believe that a lot of people end up with burnout and they just they get tired of of everything that's happening because somebody else is setting their schedule for them consistently. And we're not just talking about at work, we're talking about in life. And that becomes a really tough road to be on. So the more you can kind of look at the the minutes that you get in a day and how much you waste. And if you can be really honest with yourself and, and go through that kind of stuff of the time that you're, you're wasting, then you can find some clarity and, and start getting a little bit better. And what that percentage is, maybe it's 5%, maybe it's one, it, it really doesn't matter. It's for you. And if it's for you, it should really matter because we're all limited on our time. You know, we're not as young as we used to be and we're all limited. And I think even more important in the education business, both in coaching and with our faculty on campus is we are in charge of other people's time and how important it is. And you and I have talked about how one of the biggest issues that face student athletes is time management. So it's important that not only manage our time, but be organized and effective enough to not waste other people's time, especially student athletes that do have, you know, some have jobs, some, you know, obviously practice, some have families. And so just important in our business where, and in every business, I'm sure, to, to make sure we're managing other people's time too. And just get back to me of the concept of time again and where, how broad and of range that is. I am... I always seem to think that certain themes like 
hit me and I see it so many times in a short amount of time that I think that's what I have to do. And, and a quote that I, my friend of mine sent me this weekend, then it was on my podcast this morning that I listened to, don't count the days, make the days count. And I just think, wow, twice in a week that that quote is, has come in front of me and how more timing than at the end of a, a, a calendar year when a lot of us spend time on, was it a good year? Was it a bad year? Did we make the most of that year? What's next year bring? Do we need New Year's resolutions, which I have never done? A lot of people talk about a one-word challenge, which I have never done. And maybe it's time for me to do something like that. But I continue to try and, and be better each day and work hard for the student athletes that I am empowered to lead. So that's, it, that's it, great because I, that's the secret to life is, is finding the best version of yourself and that, that whole journey of trying to, trying to figure that out. And we sleep really well at night when we know that we're on that path and that's, that's what we want. Progress equals happiness. I, I don't typically pop in here, but I don't. I'm not familiar with the uh, one word. This is Dedalian. What What is the one word challenge? John Gordon, I believe, is a big yes. believer in it. But it, it's picking one word, and that's like your theme for the year, like love or heart or um, just finding that word that that's kind of growth connection. You know, just whatever is whatever you feel is important for you to be able to grow into the next version okay. of yourself instead of setting a resolution that's that we know is probably not going to make it to the end of January you set a word that it's true to you and you keep working towards that you may have a day or a week that might not have that growth or that connection but it's still there with you throughout the whole year and you've worked on it I've you, I used it for a couple different years and I get I got a lot of value out of it actually Interesting. I I figure if I don't know the question, somebody else might not know as well. So Always love I you. I'd, I'd chime in. Always love you. Chime in, in Idalia. And again, it's just simpler to follow than a, a goals or resolution that one word is easier for people to identify and, and adapt and, and hold on to. Um, maybe something I should try, but haven't been big on resolutions and um, even goals. I just, you know. What else you got today, Stephen? Anything? Well, we talked a lot about time. What else is important to our athletic department right now? What's what's going on that's maybe takes a lot of your time? Well, this is a big week at the end of the the semester, so it's one of our most important. I don't want to say important or difficult or challenging, but eligibility. I mean, we got 150 student athletes, so. It's crunch time to see where grades fall and, and finding paths for those that might have struggled or even identifying those that have struggled. Different for each team with our nine teams, you know, some that are both fall and winter semester programs. Some are just spring semester, some are just fall. So it's really a, a busy time of figuring out eligibility and making sure our student athletes are able to compete or unfortunately we have some difficult conversations that they will not be able to compete. Technology has helped us out with avenues to be able to, to make up credits. So it's just really stressful because our student athletes experience it down the line of whether they, they can compete. And for it's different from then uh, just a student. If a student here at LCC fails a class, then they fail a class and they can make it up 
you know, next semester. If a student athlete here happens to be in that situation and they fail a class, it could mean that they're ineligible for their season. So it changes a lot because the student athletes, oftentimes their identities are tied into the sports that they play. And if you take that identity away, even if it's for one semester, it somewhat changes how they do or how they feel about the classroom too. Yeah, and it's difficult because if we lose a student athlete, it is hard to get them back. So thankfully, we have a lot of resources to try and help them. And the best approach is to be proactive and try and get them help before we get to this point. But law of averages, we're fortunate. Our overall GPA is over a 3.0, close to a 3 point, between a 3.3 and 3.2 for our, our student athletes. It's been proven that our student athletes do better in the classroom than than the general student body. But there's still a small percentage, probably around 10% that struggle and are in a difficult situation this time of year. And it's having those difficult conversations and trying to find ways to help them move forward. And our coaching staff is, is very helpful. Our success coaches and advising are very helpful, but it's just a lot in a short amount of time, because as you mentioned, January 10th is a new semester and the start of new seasons. And all this has to be completed by then and figured out so we can determine who is able to participate next semester. So that's what I've spent a lot of my time this week. And I'll spend the rest of my time this week and next week, double checking, rechecking, and making sure we've done everything we can to determine a, a student athlete's eligibility and, and how to help them best move forward. Talking about student athletes, and again, at this end of the semester, one of the other exciting things that we just finished up is, you know, meeting with our student athlete advisory group last week. And that's always one of the highlights of my month. We meet monthly with them and we will have future members or future podcasts with members of, of that team on this group. And something we started a, about a year ago and we're still figuring out the structure and the organization of it. But even in our infancy, it, it's been just exciting hearing our student athletes input on their experience as a student and athlete here at LCC. And our goal for that, that group is so they have a voice so we can hear them and hear their perspective on what's going on at LCC leadership development, which Steve coach cutter is, is leading that and does an excellent job with his own program. And in general with his training community service, which we're starting, you know, a lot of our teams already do community service, but we want this, group to lead that and then the integration of our, our athletic program we're so busy back the time of, of focusing on our own program or being a baseball player or being a women's basketball player that we want them to be able to support each other and get to know each other and understand because the people in that room are probably experiencing similar struggles or similar successes that they can share and know that they're not alone when they're dealing with with adversity or even success. So those are the four components of that group. We're, we're really starting to finalizing that. Each team is represented, but we just met last Friday, and that was, again, just I just leave with that with so much excitement and promise knowing that, you know, this is our future and these student athletes are are doing well. A couple of highlights of the last year of that is, you know, they talked, you know, one of the most shocking things to me is how they don't use websites anymore, that they use apps to find things or Instagram. And if you put it on Instagram or have it on an app, they will know about it. But if you put it on a website, they are not searching websites anymore. And that was just shocking when we heard that. And then the other telling thing from the year is just 
how special they'd like to feel and whether they're having their own space or whether receiving recognition or but mainly space and how as we talk about facility plans of giving them the space they need to be successful so that five days later that still stands in my mind of how that meeting went and just listening to them and the great student athlete that we had certainly is something special that you created bringing the group together and hearing their stories and their voices it's definitely special just side note, smiling here. How long are those meetings? An hour. <laughs> I I think we I try to cut at forty five if we have to. I I'm not time. I'm not you know, stuck to a just, certain timeline. But kidding. I do feel I do feel if it's not over a half hour, we're not being productive or I'm wasting their time. So I'm trying, you know, making sure we have a half hour of content. But. I like reading a room. I, I've been involved in many associations in the past as presidents of these associations. And I try and read the room to say, hey, we've had enough or we've spent too much time on this topic. Let's move on. I, I hope I have a good gauge of that. I think there's some people in the room that don't that could talk about an issue forever. And, and those people frustrate me. But well, um, even the NFL this year, I, I remember reading about it, that they went to uh, they have they have so many meetings with players, coaches, just it's it's insane. They went to timers in the rooms for 20 minutes. And when that timer went up, they were done and it didn't matter. Uh, it went back to the psychology piece where people just have a hard time over that. We'll say their number was 20 minutes. I think it's actually less than that, but hard time staying focused and learning past that point when they're not focused anymore is just wasted time. So at the highest levels, they're practicing that piece of it. And uh, I think that can be taken in the business world and uh, in all worlds. You know, I believe that's true for us, even the length of practice time. I mean, some of these teams practice at length longer. And early in the season, it usually is longer. I've had some successful coaches that started with long practice and then tapered off as the season went on. And I think that's effective. But some of these coaches that have three to four hour practice mm-hmm. that I do think you you lose focus of the student athletes and they don't become as productive at the by the end of those practices. And I think teams have even gotten worn out by the end of the season if that is a constant practice. Yes, good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, just quickly, where did the time go today? Is you know we talk about this podcast and where it goes. But as I think about each week, we do this podcast like my favorite moment and how sports touches so many people in life. Then it's a sad moment, but there was a great segment a month ago for the University of Michigan football program where they invited a he was a strong football player, but ended up having cancer, and they invited him to the to the football team. Yep, Muskegon. Michi, and it's just how, I mean, I got emotional that day when they showed the piece on game day and just how impactful sports can be. And he ended up passing away this last weekend as we taped this and very sad, but I know, you know, his story impacted so many lives and a life taken too short and something we both emphasize as, you know, we're working on community service projects that, you know, we can connect with our community and the impact our student athletes can have on, on those lives. And just, I've been up some of myself, I didn't mention that because that all fall, I've been thinking about that kid and, and the life that he has been dealt and how 
Michigan football made it special for him and many programs and many athletic teams across the country do these kind of activities. We're doing them right here in LCC, which we will share in future podcasts, but how impactful sports can have on, on your community. And it's sad how that story ended, but it, it's not ending because you know, we're talking about it here on an LCC podcast of Amichi Walker and, and the impact he had and the life he lived and you know how sports was an integral part of his life. There's really only two things that bring people together and first one's music and second one is sports and that's if you really break it down and look at it I mean how many times do you know thousands and thousands of people gather and it's through music and sports and so you get a lot of those stories and a lot of them can touch your hearts and they can live on long past their time and that's what's special about that and i love both music and sports and you're right and that was the tough thing about the pandemic is we were keeping people apart and those two activities wanted to still continue to bring those together and it was really tough on those particular organizations so again thank you again steve as always good thank you everyone for joining us out there and until next time you can check us out on lcc connect or athletic information on lccstars.com for more information go stars Stars on Sports is recorded live at the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Didalian Lowry. You can listen to this episode and other episodes of Stars on Sports on demand at lccconnect.org. To find more information about our athletic program, visit lccstars.com. Thanks for listening. Go Stars! with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College students now have the option to go beyond an associate degree through LCC's University Center. The University Center is a partnership between LCC and five four-year universities. Located on LCC's downtown campus, these universities offer junior and senior level courses. To find out more about the University Center, visit lcc.edu. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, chicken, oh, okay. Uh, when the wolf? Oh, a wolf, uh, uh, ooh! What about the tiny dog? Cat. Ow! Ooh, ooh, ooh. Dolphin? <coughs> what does the turkey say? Uh, giraffe. 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 You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Amy Wagonar from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. 
During World War II, millions of young men left farms to enlist in the military or find higher paying jobs in defense factories. The challenge of finding the labor necessary for harvest only got worse as the demand for farm products increased. The government had to figure out how to keep farms working to feed the country. The answer? The Women's Land Army. The idea to use female replacements for male farm workers started in Great Britain during World War I. In the United States, the Department of Agriculture established the Women's Land Army in April 1943. Florence Hall, a Michigan native and home economist, was chosen as the leader of the Women's Land Army. Born in Port Austin, Michigan in 1888, she graduated from the Michigan Agricultural College, Michigan State University today, in 1909 and taught high school in East Lansing for several years. Hall first had to find women who were willing to join the Women's Land Army. She used women's clubs and organizations to spread the word that it was an important wartime job to raise food. Applicants had to show that they were physically fit and demonstrate manual dexterity, patience, and patriotism. Hall also made sure women received food, pay, a place to stay, and a free ride to the farms. Recruits volunteered from a variety of backgrounds, including students, teachers, bank tellers, and bookkeepers. Hall knew that it was important for women to be trained before they started working on the farms. Michigan and eight other states created special training courses for the newly minted agricultural laborers. The class at Michigan State University lasted 25 days and taught women different farm jobs. Lessons focused on working with farm animals, including milking cows, egg grading, and hitching and driving horses. The women learned about the farm machinery, too. Farm girls learned how to drive and work machines and keep them running. Although some farmers resisted the use of women for agricultural work, between 1943 and 1945, almost three million women went to work on American farms. The Women's Land Army helped increase food production by 32% during the war and changed opinions about the ability of women to perform the difficult work needed for successful farms. The women wartime factory workers, the Rosie the Riveters, may have caught the popular imagination, but the farm girls played a critical role, too. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by MichiganHistoryMagazine.org. Celebrating one year of LCC Connect, visit us online at lccconnect.com and click on the Celebrate tab to find out more. We are LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College Performing Arts features several events and presentations throughout the year. Find more information by visiting lcc.edu slash showinfo. Recycle Michigan, a place where there's no city limit, no boundaries, and the population, 9.9 million. So where is Recycle Michigan? It's located in your home, next door, down the road, in your very own community. In their continued effort to increase recycling awareness, the Michigan Recycling Coalition has launched the statewide Recycle Michigan campaign. Serving as a resource to both businesses and residents, the Michigan Recycling Coalition provides simple steps to reduce waste, create awareness of the benefits of recycling, and to discover options for recycling through your local communities. 
By recycling, you, your family, your neighbors, and your community can help protect the things we love most about our state. Recycling junk mail, water bottles, and other containers will help keep our Great Lakes state clean, but it also promotes job growth in Michigan. Discover how you can become a citizen of Recycle Michigan by exploring michiganrecycles.org. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply prior credits toward their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash youbelong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. You're listening to Art Happens Here the podcast that explores the often curious and occasionally amazing art installations on, in, and around the campuses of Lansing Community College. I'm your host, Bruce Mackley. Well, we're back today with a very exceptional guest and another exceptional guest. LCC Emeritus President Dr. Brent Knight is here, as well as Matt McGowey with Mayot Architects, Mayot Group Architects. Mayot Group Architects, yep. And I'm so thrilled, both of them, obviously having Dr. Knight here, but I've been trying to get Matt down here for a minute, and here they are. Welcome, Dr. Knight. Great. And Matt, welcome. Thanks for having me. To Art Happens Here. And you're part of Art Happens Here because many of the projects that we collaborated on and some that I had nothing to do with, you were heavily involved in from a design standpoint. I can't imagine what it must be like being an architect and designing structures that stand for decades that your kids are going to drive by. Something about that. It's, I guess, the same as artwork. Well, today, just to talk about a few projects and mainly points of inspiration, I'm going to start out with the big one that I've been putting off because I don't want to be down here talking about it by myself, is the sculpture Upward Bound. This sculpture resides on our quad at the top of a hill in the middle of our downtown campus in Lansing. It's beautiful. It's stunningly beautiful, day or night. Can you describe it for us, Matt? I'd take a swipe at it, but I'd rather have you do it. Uh, yeah, sure. It's it's kind of a, a three-dimensional, uh, unique from every view type of sculpture. We talked about a lot of things and landed on what I think is a really unique piece for the Lansing area and for campus. We've got three kind of uh, steel fins that extend up from a base and the paint job, the coatings on each of the the three is is unique as well. And so there was a lot of effort put into the detailing so that from afar you could pick up on the uh, kind of the shape and style of everything. But once you get closer and actually start to look at more of the details, then you really get to see kind of the uniqueness of each of the pieces. Each one is rotated slightly differently, angled slightly differently. They're all different heights, but as you kind of walk around and take a look at it, you can really kind of delve into some of the differences. And and really, the thing I like the best about it is, depending on the weather and kind of the outdoor environment, it reads differently Mm -hmm. and and has a different look. And so the lighting from below is, uh, is a nice piece as well as it moves from daytime to into the dusk and at night. And so, yeah, it, it was just an opportunity to really kind of play around and do some things, but on a scale that we hadn't really approached on any of the other pieces on campus that I think gave us an opportunity to do some fun things. Yeah, it's a centerpiece for sure. And Dr. Knight, with like challenging 
Matt with this work? What did you tell him? I mean, what were, what did you impart to him to come up with this design? Well, that space, for the most part, was, in my opinion, not planned. There was a structure there, and it was demolished. So the hill was just where the structure was, Mm -hmm. and it was filled in. It had no plan. Mm -hmm. And at one time, there had been a city street in front of it. And I saw it as a major part of the college that was not finished. The hill was taller. It was difficult to access where the stairway is now. You really couldn't access it from that point. My conceptual goal was to redesign the whole space and then have a commanding work of art sculpture in the center as a way to finish the space and have the campus be complete in a sense. Mm -hmm. So that's where we started from. The first order of business was to knock the hill down as far as we could. And so Tim Martz and I collaborated on that. And over several years, we arrived at a point where Tim had worked civil engineers. And and so at one point, we leveled it, mm-hmm. took a lot of soil out of there. Topped, uh, chopped off about five foot, five feet of it? So? Yeah, we chopped off a whole lot of it, and there was a lot of cubic feet of, mm-hmm. of soil and mm-hmm. hauled it away and then flattened it so it could get maximum use. Mm-hmm. And then the stairway was designed. Did you design the stairway? Oh, uh, we worked with civil engineer landscape okay. architect to do that. Because... Yep. It had to be a stairway that worked in form and in function that was not easily done. It took a good plan. I mean, it had to look right and work right and serve the purpose. And the stairway was an important part of it. And then on the north side of the site, we had to make it ADA accessible. And again, you're on a hill. And that was a challenge. And then on the west side, you had to make it so there was a major pedestrian thoroughfare, a sidewalk. And that had to work. And then on the south side, you had Guitar Plaza. And it was, again, the center of the campus. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be there for hundreds of years, 100 years. You really don't know, but a very long time. Mm -hmm. And... The work of art, the sculpture, had to command the space. And you're up against large structures on all sides, really. Truly. I mean, the HHS is an imposing structure. Mm-hmm. So on all four sides, you got big buildings. So you need something big enough to make it work. In my earliest conversations with Matt, I mean, we talked about all of that. And I said something like an obelisk and because I had been in Paris and seen other monuments like that that were tall and Mm -hmm. large and command a space. Mm -hmm. So I suggested something like an obelisk to Matt and then he came up with on their own 
the three spires, and then we worked on that. And there's a whole lot of questions like, how is it going to be oriented? What's the base going to be? How wide and how thick and how tall? I know that I kept saying taller. And <laughs> did he? Yeah. Matt kept making them taller. <laughs> he did. Because I wanted it to command the space yeah. and be really significant for the college and have it be a work of art that would be appreciated and remembered. So that's how we went. And then the process of making them, I mean, you're in a harsh winter weather condition. You have to make them really durable. So then the galvanizing, the fabricating and the galvanizing, and they're so large, how do you get them to the galvanizing? And Didn't the galv like double the weight? Isn't that what I heard? Uh, it may have. It was a big process. And yeah, just the movement and the craftsmanship that went into the basic welding that seems like it should be fairly achievable, but the scale of it just made it that much harder and getting to go see the steel guys in the shop working on that. Is that Douglas? Douglas Steel did mm -hmm. that. And yep. then yeah. transferring it over to the paint shop and watching those guys, yeah. I, you know, it's it's easy enough to paint a wall. Well, it can be, but uh, what these guys had to do of... They, rolling around on their back and he wouldn't and show me i mean i went over there because i was over there a few times and they developed a proprietary system for moving it around the shop those right. pieces yep. and he gave me a glimpse but he didn't want to because they had to come up with this they had to like to get it around their their paint shop yeah no. so they were huge and you had to have a paint booth that would accommodate oh, those yeah. and then you have to lift them and not only that they had done the sculpture in front of the administration building mm -hmm. and they are just most expert painters and finishers and then they on their own came up with their plan and how the shades change as it goes up i remember so you pitching that to me they <laughs> they exceeded expectations yeah they, they were the real deal executed an awesome finish and durable paint and i'm most proud of it again the whole thing exceeded my expectations and i'm delighted with what matt and the craftspeople that made it all happen and the color selection well you did a lot of the color yeah yeah and i worked on the color and uh with the swashes and it's just so elegant matt it's beautiful it's timeless I remember the small model because some of these small models you see come in and uh, I'm like, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. Up. And it's just, it's just beautiful. And didn't you tell me, cause I've got, I love these quirky facts that all these one-offs that you have to design that are, there are no like approximations surrounding the safety or the durability. I mean, you have to use your educated guesswork. Didn't you tell me that, you know, you factored in if like a 200 pound man shimmied up to the top of the tallest one and like waved it back and forth, it wouldn't like shear off or something like that? Yeah, those those are the conversations we don't normally have with a structural <laughs> engineer, but we had to factor that one in because yeah. you just never know what happens in a downtown environment. But yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of concrete on that base, but even then getting into the detailing of, of the exposed piece of the concrete and I can't remember how many textures we looked at for the patterning on that concrete as well because... Mm -hmm. We want people to come over and 
look closely and engage with it and, and sit down. And yeah. the concrete guys, the trades guys that came and, and poured that base put in just as much effort as everybody else to finish it off. Those footings go down, what, eight feet? Uh, yeah, six to eight feet. I can't remember. Yeah, it's, no, it looked yeah, like a room in yeah. a house. It's a 16-foot diameter base, I think. It's just sure. yeah, solid concrete to make sure it doesn't fall over and turn yeah. over. So. Yeah. Well, to our listeners, if you uh, haven't seen it, look it up. It is visually, it looks... New York, Chicago, not that Lansing, nothing wrong with Lansing, just saying it fits in and yet it doesn't look like it's part of this area. It's beautiful. There are colored LEDs that beam on this thing at night. So it is, it's a beacon at night and working in marketing. I mean, I'm just the photographic opportunities that we can take with kids in front of it or graduating classes and having this thing as a backdrop is just uh, limitless. Yeah, it was a great opportunity. Very happy to do it. And we uh, yeah. we liked it so much. We used it for our holiday card for the office that year. So it, it is a, a great photo spot. So I hope people take advantage of it. Glad to hear that. And then uh, I, I need to also mention none of this would have been possible without Andrew Abood. That's very true. Andrew is a trustee, law firm, an attorney, family, longtime flamplay in, in Lansing and and the family is very civic minded. Mm -hmm. And Andrew was in my office. I think I had a rendering or two and explained it all to Andrew. Mm -hmm. And I said, do you know anyone that I could talk with about funding this? And he really liked it. And all of a sudden he just said to me, I'll make it happen. Mm -hmm. And so Andrew donated the funds mm -hmm. so that we could have Upward Bound. It was a goodly amount of money. It was. It was. And so I'm most grateful and appreciative to everybody that made it happen. Matt and his firm. and yeah, It's not an everyday thing. And you and the contractors that made it work. And mm -hmm. I think it'll be an iconic piece for the college and the community. It already is. All. It already is. And Dr. Knight, touching briefly on you're a master at the philanthropic angle of allowing sponsorships or involvement with community members and our art pieces naming rights you know if you donated a certain amount and engaging it wasn't just money out of our pocket because i remember we'd build these presentations and the next project we're going to discuss is the clock tower lansing community college has a clock tower and it's beautiful Matt was involved in the design of this, mm -hmm. getting the Granger family to step up. Um, this thing covered, I think it was a steam vent from an old welding thing. Welding exhaust. The, yeah. When the college was built, yeah. the welding shops were underneath it. And so it was exhaust mm -hmm. for welding. It was also a, an aesthetic quality, and it had kind of the brutalism yeah. feel to it. So when I came to Lansing in 2008, I said to myself, I am going to deal with that. Yeah, nope. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was ugly. And there's no two ways about it. And it was associated heavily. How do you even describe it? Thor's hammer in cement, maybe? Um, uh, there was just, there was literally a week ago, just a tweet about it because somebody had pulled it out of the archives and, mm -hmm. and it went around and everybody was, yeah, flying saucer, yeah. You know, something stuck on the end of a stick. It was it was a unique piece. It, nobody was really attached to it emotionally yeah. because it was that bad. Right. You know, um, 
I thought it was a water tower. Somebody told me years ago it was a water tower or whatever. But at any rate, Matt, can you describe the process in beginning something like this? I mean, do you decide on the scope? Is there a budget thing that guides things? Obviously, I'm sure there is. No, yeah, but with this one, um, again, it was kind of a, a logistical thing. We talked about it in the past and just the logistics of removing what was there and building something new over it. How much of the existing do we leave behind and use mm-hmm. as a framework for the new? Again, the question of height came up over mm-hmm. and over again, and I mm-hmm. think there was its recurring theme, but make it taller was was commented a few <laughs> times. Um, <laughs> and, and we did the best the, the best we could with what was there to build upon but this one, we had, you know, a clock tower has a certain sense of properties and characteristics that you have to maintain um, to call it a clock tower. So we had that as a basis. We had the existing conditions as a basis. And then it was just trying to work through the details of how to make it work and then what the right proportions were. And again, we went through multiple iterations of what does a clock tower want to look like. We looked at other examples from other places in the world and landed on a solution that I think worked very nicely for this college and worked out to be the right height uh, for visibility both on campus and then from downtown as you're approaching it. It's, you know, that thoroughfare coming towards campus is a really good spot. So while the original construction may not have been something that people wanted, the location of it was very much a key player in, in being able to turn it into something useful and a clock tower is a great thing to have so i hadn't even considered that yeah. the, the spot is perfect because it doesn't have a bad angle and the carillon the bells mm-hmm. are digital yes right and they sound real i mean it sounds like there are bells like vibrating in this and it just lends an air of elegance again with the elegance to our campus where you feel like you're somewhere when that thing goes off and mm-hmm. you're walking by it gives you chills a little bit knowing what was there before it. Was there anything that came up short that you were disappointed in or any challenges, any curveballs when you decide to design a clock tower? Well, I think the, not necessarily that it came up short, but, but the challenges were definitely the idea that even though it's a digital clock and everything else, you obviously need to be able to maintain and access the innards mm-hmm. of the structure itself. And that was one of the most difficult pieces of just figuring out how to get people up from inside. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's not necessarily space that everybody in the public will get to see, but for those that do, it was a logistical feat to get the staircase and everything inside that structure while at the same time being able to do what we did on the outside. You know, I think the fun part of that project was seeing the construction and watching the top of the tower be built at grade and then picked up by a crane and set in place and just kind of being able to see that from different angles from adjacent rooftops and things uh, was really kind of the finishing touch. It is kind of the the icing on the cake to see that land on top of the tower. The challenge of figuring it out was one thing. The challenge, again, of the construction was another, and the tradespeople that did that were really talented and and able to do it. The plaza at the base is another nice touch that Mm -hmm. I think is is another little area of respite for people from the main pedestrian mall and mm-hmm. gives some more nice photo opportunities and things. No, intentional design at its best. Yeah. Well, next I want to talk about something, a, a project that's near and dear to my heart. I think it's a, my favorite of all the many things I've had the honor of working on here is the words kiosk that you helped us out with. And briefly, Dr. Knight, I think that you got the ball rolling design-wise with this. Yes, the concept came from Los Angeles, where we had the idea, and Tanya, I think, 
brought it to me first. And I thought, well, that's really wonderful because I want to welcome people to the college mm -hmm. in all languages so that that's my language. I'm welcome here. That was a primary goal. And then there was directional utility as well. So mm -hmm. we were trying to make it work in form and function. Mm -hmm. And at night and during the day, mm -hmm. something we could fabricate ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we had all those preconditions. And again, we assembled great people and teams and we were able to execute it and we met and exceeded all expectations. It does everything we had wished. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it became operational, some of our folks were doing some video out on the mall and a student, I want to say Iran or Iraq, one of those countries, mm -hmm. he just said, you see that? That's my language. And I took photos in, in broken English, and he said, I sent them to my family. My, so my family knows that I'm welcome here. Yeah. And I thought, wow. That's perfect. a lump in the throat That's right exactly there. what I was, it's just, what I was trying geez. to do. Yeah. 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 I, let me describe this for listeners. This is a four-sided monument. I think it stands 12 feet high. Probably. Yep. And each side, each of the four sides is maybe three feet-ish. Yeah. It's comprised of laser-cut aluminum panels. And the aluminum panels are probably one-quarter to three-eighths of an inch thick. And I designed the words that were supplied that weave around, and they're tightly formed. It's like a puzzle with the various languages, scripts, and some artwork fitting in with each other. Um, it took a minute to design, and it was... Four-sided, we decided to light it, so there are uh, polycarbonate inserts and with colored film, and some of the words are blue and some are green and some are white, and it presents extraordinarily well at night, especially with wet pavement. Again, it looks like it belongs in New York. It just does. I mean, it, it, I think the panels were bead blasted and, and powder coated, right? Yeah. Yep. Anything weird about designing it or getting it to getting it off the ground? The unique piece of that was the ability to have it stand <laughs> and, mm. and be connected with minimal, you know, mechanical fasteners and with the intention being for people to come up and interact and be close and really look at the words in detail. You don't want to distract people with the fasteners and, you know, with, with some sort of structural thing that people are paying attention to the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So the way we ended up designing it and the ability to... Uh, put it all together and have as minimal amount of the construction visible, I think was really key to make it nice and sleek. And the details at the corners are interesting to look at, but they're not what people pay attention to. I hadn't even thought of that. And, and yeah. it's the layers and the depth that's added from the lighting, even when it's not illuminated and you get up close and the laser cut and the polycarbonate and things, I think there's, there's just a lot to it that is really nice and subtle detailing that allows you to really take it for what it is with the words and just kind of enjoy it for what it is without having to, to focus on how it got put together. Truly. Yeah. The example from California, I think that was provided, well, they don't get winners. So if I remember right, it was um, open and it was friendly to the elements, whatever elements. This is a different game. I mean, we were concerned with birds nesting or whatever. 
and lighting it and you know our electrician lee working on this and they even laser cut and i was shocked at how inexpensive the laser cut panels were Mm -hmm. i'm still blown away by the degree to which they can do this so precisely it's just a, a machining you know miracle to me laser cutting metal i blows my mind we must be living in the future. <laughs> we had a hard time with the colored lighting, too. A little bit, yeah. Uh, but, again, Lee and, and our folks made it happen. Yeah, they brought conduit in, and, yeah, it presents so well. Well, what else, Matt? I know that you were involved in the um, infinite space, hanging acrylic in the star zone. Was there anything else that you felt like touching on while you're here? Because you're you're a hard guy to get, to pin down. So I'm going to make the most of our few minutes that are left. Sure. No, uh, one of my other favorite pieces is is the cube. And forgive me, I don't remember the specific name it was given mm-hmm. at the end, but that was another design challenge. And you spoke before about with Upward Bound having to factor in people climbing on it. Well, this cube is even more appealing to somebody oh, yeah. to jump on top. And I'd like to believe we achieved the final goal, but I still think that maybe if we ever get to do a cube version two, we can get it even better of making it look like it's balancing just on one point at grade. Because I know, Dr. Knight, that was a big piece. You didn't want it to show how it was sticking out of the ground and everything. And so Mm -hmm. the design of that one, again, it's a lot of this is the innards that nobody gets to see. But when you understand it and, and are a part of it and know all the intricacies that go into it it makes a really exciting thing to see in the flesh and just one of the things that I appreciate most about all the pieces we've been a part of on campus is the environment that we get to design these things and on this campus is so much more inviting and opportunistic than than other things we do every piece is able to be viewed from multiple angles in multiple environments, multiple atmospheres. And so, again, depending on the season, the time of day, just the activity around it, all of these different pieces react differently. And it's one of the most enjoyable things that I find about coming back to campus to work on any of the projects is to walk through and see different people interact with them, whether they're sitting on a bench or they're sitting on the base of one of these things or taking a photo of it or just walking through the buildings. Definitely can tell that people react to the environment and the places and the spaces that are that have been created here through all these different elements that I think it, it makes it a very lively and engaging and um, inviting campus to be a part of. And, to hear and that. really it's more than just the coming to class, it's it's interacting with the campus along the way. So No, that's that's wonderful to hear. And it's true because our clients, you know, our students, um, they're a big deal. And providing an environment that projects a sense of importance, makes them feel that their efforts here are important and worthwhile because we do very worthwhile work here. And I'm going to get all choked up, so I need to stop. Um, gentlemen, it's been fantastic. Matt McGowhey, uh, president of Mayotte Group Architects. Dr. Brent Knight, former president of LCC. I can't believe this. I have you both in the same room again. Uh, we used to do some wonderful things together, and it's been extraordinary talking to you both. Yeah, thank yeah. you for the time. Yeah. Well, thank you. Pablo Picasso once said, every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. If you want to check out what I've been talking about, just visit this episode at lccconnect.org. Art Happens Here is a production of LCC Connect. Thanks for lending us your imagination.
This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.